All right, hello, hello. This is Mitchell Wallace uh, for Penny for a Tale. Uh, for those who are present, thank you for coming during the witching hour of the Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we do appreciate it. If you're on YouTube, welcome to whatever hour you're in, and I uh, hope you're having a pretty good day. Um, today, uh, we have a very special guest, uh, Steve D. Uh, of the um, of yeah, Relics uh, Game of Angels. Uh, which, uh, if you have been following and, and tracking with us of late, we have been playing a lot of. I think in the past uh, two weeks, I've ran four to five Relic games. <laughs> uh, and I can say it has been truly a pleasure. Super excited for Relics to come out on Kickstarter. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, all of this is on the details. Uh, for Twitch, I will pop it up before the end of the stream. And of course, you can always find our information at Penny for a Tale. Or uh, if you're looking specifically for Relics, it's on Kickstarter right now. How many days do we have left? Seven. Seven, seven, seven days. Seven uh, let's, days. Let's make sure we, uh, we hit the next goals uh, and make the game as, as awesome as possible. Um, so let's, let's hop right into it. Um, so... Uh, what were the inspirations for Relic? Um, I've always been interested in angels, like my whole life. Um, as a young kid, I watched uh, a show called Highway to Heaven, which was a kind of schmaltzy, kind of Christian kind of show, but it, it had little hints of sort of this angelic mythology. Um, and that is something that fascinated me. Um, I, you know, watched a lot of movies with angels, read lots of things. Um, one of the big kickers was um, reading the John Constantine runs in the 90s and 2000s. And Grant Morrison's run particularly, he doesn't have a very high opinion of angels. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, like, that's only half the story. I want to sort of, you know, tell some more of the story. So a lot of those Vertigo stories um, and the, the, the um, oh, Mike Carey's run on Lucifer, again, mm -hmm. the angels are the bad guys. And I'm like, no, there's actually... I want, to, I want to do something different. And so many of the games come at it that way, and so many of the, the popular stories. Mm -hmm. they, they paint the, the angels as, usually as the bad guys in some way. And, and um, yeah, I wanted to tell a different kind of story. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point you, you, you made, uh, especially kind of the, the trends of the last couple of years. You definitely see a lot more angels being uh, the, the villains. I mean, I remember watching the Constantine movie, and I believe it was Gabriel uh, at the end there with, uh, with Lucifer. Such a great character. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely a, a, a good point. Do you have any, any idea why that is? I think... Angels are one of the reasons I really like writing about angels. Is that angels are way are a very po powerful, popular myth, and they still are today. You know, there's something like um, two thirds of Americans believe that angels exist, and over a third believe <laughs> they've met them. Um, and they are ways that we talk about things that are important to us, and um, how we view things like religion and faith and authority is often <laughs> reflected. There was a huge time after World War II where angels were very much seen as the good guys, mm -hmm. um, when people were very much looking to believe in a sense of order and power. Um, and then, I think in the in the sort of the 80s and the 90s and the noughties, we got a lot more cynical about certain things. Um, but there are other kind of stories as well. If you look at 
Far Away So Close and um, mm-hmm. Wings of Desire, the angels there are figures of sorrow um, because that's coming from a different culture where people were sort of reeling from just um, a long period of isolation. Yeah. So for them, angels were about the inability to connect. Um, and I think, I think at the moment now we're actually having a, a revival of angels. As we think about uh, a world that is, we feel is very disconnected and that we're worried about the end of the world, we're now sort of thinking about angels in a slightly more positive way. So even though we have Lucifer in the, like the TV show, for example, mm-hmm. he's quite angelic. Like he's, he, is, he is Lucifer, but he's, yeah. he's famous in big white wings. His, his best friend, Amenadiel, is an angel, and he's quite the positive character as well. Um, and there's a sense – and also they use the Mike Carey's idea that, that Lucifer is, Jesus, is God's son, so he's a kind of a Jesus figure as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and I think that's, that's really interesting is that we, we change these myths so that they mean different things to us. And that's something I really wanted to explore in Relics is that um, the angels – uh, are what you want to make of them and to some extent and yeah what you want to play them as yeah and you definitely see that because i've i you know i've ran the quick start characters uh, a couple of times and i've also uh with uh, the james corpse uh twitch channel we got to yeah. run through character creation and, and make these very diverse uh angels and you know um each looks at humanity in a very different way uh in it what when I what I thought, uh, you know, in the past, I really enjoyed like Demon of Descent and uh, you know the other World of Darkness. You know, demons were really cool. Um, yeah. But you know, when I started reading Relics, uh, I, I'd have to say it it kind of just changed my perspective and and you know got me really excited to to play these angelic beings, especially the way the the game describes it. You know, these fiery creatures with horns. You know, these are terrifying terrifying beings. Uh, but yet, you know, you have the the healers and, and those that really care about humanity um so it's a nice like a uh, little little story that's being told there um but going into kind of the uh the mechanics of it um what made you turn to to fugue as inspiration for the system for relics um that was sort of just a moment of perfect serendipity um i originally i had a lot of different systems in mind that i was playing with um when I was first working on the draft, I was still working on Shadow of the Demon Lord, and there's a lot in that system that attracted me, um, especially like the way that it has four core classes, and we have sort of these four core, core aspects. Yeah. I was playing around with that, and I was like, no, this is too complicated. Um, I was then looking at Cortex and a few other things, and then I don't even know what it was. It, it must have been uh, just looking at through old files or something, talking to James Wallace or something, and I just thought this would be perfect. Um, I was lucky enough to to consult a little bit on on um, Las Vegas with mm-hmm. with James, um, and it was a really exciting project. Unfortunately, it was terribly delayed, but it was something that sort of sat in the back of my mind. And um, yeah, I was just thinking about light systems, thinking about things, and, and it just sort of went, "Hang on, this is, would actually be really good." Um, and I can't remember you know, the exact moment that it happened. It just suddenly clicked. It was like this would be perfect. Um, and now I can't imagine relics without it because it really it, it gave us exactly what we needed to do yeah to really in um, the angelic aspect of that philosophical and and different viewpoint that that is so important to the to the game yeah and it's uh, interesting um, and I actually have my tarot deck Let's see if I can grab it without destroying my wings um, 
Yeah, and I, you know, I, I've never, never checked out a tarot deck before. You know, I, I love the art on them, and uh, mm. I, I probably have one copy from a from a different game. Um, but yeah, why, why use a tarot deck instead of dice? What was kind of your, your, your thinking on that, and why do you think it's so important to to telling the story of relics? It was, of course, it was it was something that appears in the fugue set. So. Um... Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I got um, the angels deck. <laughs> so oh, I thought it was appropriate. Very nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, first of all, it was just there in Fugue. So we were looking at it going, well, if we're using Fugue, we'll use the cards. And Fugue is a game about, uh, sorry, Fugue first appears in the Las Vegas, which is very much a game about um, uh, Vegas and also angels and demons in, in its own way. Um so it was appropriate there because it's a game about dealing and, and dealing cards and gambling and things like that. But as soon as I started looking at the tarot, um, the tarot is extremely informed by angelic myth. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a thing called the tetramorph that I've always been fascinated by, and that was something I really wanted to put into relics, and that's and um, what I like about the tetramorph is that it's a myth that has been evolved over time. Um, we have it in the New Testament. Each of the shapes. Of the four, the 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 man, the lion, the bull, and the eagle were all assigned to the four uh, um, gospel writers. Mm-hmm. So that allowed them to basically use that symbology in New Testament Christianity, but it's also part of uh, Old Testament Christianity all the time. It's how angels and, and figures are described, and it actually dates back to pre-Christian, uh, pre-Jewish myth as well, mm-hmm. um, where these four creatures were part of Babylonian and. Um, um, Arcadian myth. Um, uh, so that was something that I wanted to do as a sense of, it's a wonderful example of that. Like you can see churches being built today that are using a symbology that is 4,000, 6,000 years old. Um, yeah. And um, looking at the tarot deck, you can see these figures popping up all the time. Um, and so that, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah, that's really perfect. The, the, the Wheel of Fortune card and the world both feature them. There's also a lot of angels on temperance and justice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that all just, the symbology just, and again, it's that same kind of thing that we still use tarot to, today and we recognize its symbology, but it, it feels like it's very ancient because it's kind of this weird hodgepodge of mythology that was sort of aggregated over several hundred years. Yeah. Um, and that gives it that right kind of ancient feel. Um, and it is an interesting mechanic. It, it allows you to, um, it's, it's effectively the same as a dice roll, but it, it can, it, it adds a little bit more flavor. It adds a little bit more, uh, impact. Um, and it feels a bit different to a die. A die feels very modern to us, even though it, it the dice too are very ancient. It's, um, and it just, yeah, that little bit of flavor is really important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know as a GM when I was running it, uh, having people respond to the tarot deck and what was pulled definitely yep. kind of helps set the mood as well as as a GM think of what comes next. Um, yeah. So that, that was really, really a, a cool aspect of the game. Um, it gives you an idea and a number, which is nice mm-hmm. instead of one. Exactly. Uh, so is there any tarot deck you would recommend or, or one that's your favorite? I'm not really a huge tarot nerd which has been fun because i get to sort of come at this from both sides i do i meet a lot of people who are like what are the cards and i'm, I'm always having to 
explain that. But I also meet the other extreme of people who are like, I have 20 tarot decks. I really want yours because I'm going to put it on my wall with all my magic tarot decks. And I've met tarot readers as well, people who take it very seriously as a spiritual mm-hmm. thing. So um, I, I, as I say, I'm not a collector. Um, we've used Rider Waite, uh, Rider Waite Smith, I should say, um, as our basis um, because it's fairly standard. Um, and it has lots of angelic symbology in it. Uh, the, the Thoth deck um, is also quite a good one. That was done by Alistair, Crow- Alistair Crowley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I forget the artist, but it also has some lovely angelic symbology in it. Um, uh, but yeah, there's there's lots of different... As long as the, yeah, the, anything that fits, that feels meaningful to you. Yeah. Um, I, did, I got an angelic tarot uh, that I picked up once, but it was very new age and the art was like done on a sort of, you know, bad laser graphics um, yeah. and it was very cheesy. So it didn't really add the right tone, um, but it was good for some character pictures. So that was good just to give people inspiration. Um, it's all about, and, and yeah, so it's all about whatever, whatever suits you. I'm, 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 I'm a quite a practical person. So I just want something that's quick and easy that I can shuffle and give me a result. Yeah. Um, that's what suits me. If you're someone who thinks about the cards should be really beautiful, then let's make them beautiful. And we're trying to sort of find that um that balance too when we're doing the, the deck that we want to produce. We're looking at we want to make them nice and stiff, but we also want to make them feel useful. Yeah. We want to make them sturdy. We want to make them shuffleable. We don't want to make it feel like you're going, oh, here is a big piece of cardboard that it's gonna it's got to be shuffleable. Um, because there's a magic for me too in just an ordinary pack of cards. Yeah. You know, I'm attracted to the kinesthetic pleasure of dice and cards and um you know that that to me is a is a big part of it i love to do like a a riffle shuffle Mm -hmm. and then splay the cards out for people and that adds a little bit of its own kind of magic as well oh yeah definitely um so going back to kind of like the uh, relics as a whole uh what Mm -hmm. themes do you think are prevalent in relics uh and kind of what kind of stories do you hope are told through your game i think to some extent, I hope you, people just find whatever meaning they want, and that's mm-hmm. deliberately written like that, where there's, as I said, angels are big ideas so that you can discuss your big ideas with them. Yeah. And people naturally uh, get to that. They go, okay, how would I, who created this and have been around for thousands of years, view humanity? And um, they instantly sort of get interested in that. Um, but there are lots of themes that were important to me. Um I mean, one of them is about the fact that this is a personal issue. Um, I've, I've, I grew up quite relatively religious <laughs> and I've always been fascinated by faith and its purpose and its power to be uh, something that can make individuals better. And that's something that was important to me to bring to the fore in the game is the sense that um, – what is the purpose? What is the nature of faith without authority? I guess is the way to think about it. Because by removing God from the picture, the angels sort of have to come up with their own sense of truth and value themselves. And I, I like to push that in my games: is that sense of when people come up with questions of morality and questions of of, of um, purpose and things, it's like, well, what do you think? Yeah. Um, there's a the the uh, scenario that I'm hoping to be able to write. Um, the next stretch goal uh, has a scene where the players can effectively um, get control of a of a sort of proto cult of several hundred people, and I always like as a GM to go, well, now they're convinced that you are an incarnation of God, you've got the floor. 
what do you tell people? And that to me, I think is really important to sort of go, because people often, um, I want, I want to put that question out there. It's like the point of faith, if it has any point at all, is to make us think about what actually is goodness and what we would like to tell the world. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very easy to just go, well, faith is stupid and religion is stupid, mm -hmm. but then you need something to replace it in the sense of what is your morality? What do you believe? What is important? And we should talk about those things. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's sort of one of the big things I hope is in relics is that it's a sense of, um, yeah, your, your faith, your morality, your beliefs, what are they? Let's, um, uh, let's talk about it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really interesting to me. You know, I, I've also, you know, come from a very kind of religious background um, and, you know, I, I never thought of it that way in terms of, you know, now God's gone, uh, uh, and now what do you do as angels? Um, but, you know, I think that's a, that creates such interesting stories because you're going about things in a very different way as opposed to kind of like your, your other systems like World of Darkness or Dungeons and Dragons. It, it's very much, you know, because you as an angel are, are kind of an authority of, of sorts yes. on at least people, humanity will look upon you as such. Um, and so, you know, in, in the dark when, you know, when, when God's not watching you, you know, what, what matters to you and, and where, where, where are the lines that you draw? Um, yeah. So I, you know, l looking through the beta rules, I've been really excited about kind of, testing testing those waters with, with players and such um yeah that's 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 what we hope absolutely yeah so um you posted on facebook about feeling emotional when you saw that relics was funded uh awesome awesome time can you run through what what exactly was going through your mind at that moment it's it's so many things um i kind of described it um, when we were about to click launch that it was like, it was sort of like I was giving birth because there was this sense of almost you know, huge amount of stress and, and, but also the finality and, and, um, you know, there's so much work that goes into it and then you just push a button and you leave it out there and it's up to other people in that sense. Um, so it's, it's exhaustion because it's been two and a half years of work, um, to get to this point. It's it's amazement that we can we, we can get this that we've been succeeded, um, uh, you know it's it's great gratitude that I was able to get people to see what I wanted to do and, and respond emotionally and and um, yeah it's it's so many different emotions it's it's also the sort of the nervousness of like oh wow now I actually have to keep doing and keep doing and and make this game but actually all of that's like the rest of this process is going to be a lot easier because we've worked so hard beforehand. We know where we're going and we're just really happy that we get to do that. Um, but it is a, yeah, it, it was like we, we crossed that line that we, we worked so hard and we hoped so much about, because I spent, even though we had like a good start, I, I just yeah. couldn't relax. Until we crossed that line. It's like, <laughs> as soon as we did, it's like, now it's okay. We don't have to, uh, don't have to worry about, yeah. you know, all those, all those conditions and because it is um, so much of this industry, you need to have a certain amount of money. I mean, we had a high goal because we want to do things at a really professional level, um, and having that goal means that we can do a lot. We can, we have the freedom and the safety to, to be able to do that without constantly going. Well, how much does that cost? How much does that yeah. cost? Yeah, you know, it makes things it, it, it 
it lets us really take a deep breath um, for the first time because we've really been we I don't I don't work full time. I'm on actually a disability pension, so mm-hmm. our 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 funding has been just really tight, and you know we've been borrowing favors here and there, and now I can go to those people and go, look, I can actually pay you. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome, and you know I hope it continues to to shoot up. Um, I've definitely seen you as kind of like one of the more active uh, uh Kickstarter uh. Uh, makers in terms of like Facebook and social media uh, basically every day uh, you can see something new and interesting on, on the Facebook uh, which has been as well as you know it's been amazing kind of watching the numbers totally uh, steadily rise up and seeing different takes and what you felt about different things uh, so I know as a fan you know much appreciate that um, Excellent. I mean, that's what we want we want it to be something that you guys feel a part of mm-hmm. uh, because you are you know you are helping us get there so you should feel involved um, yeah, and if there's anything people want to see in the game or want to see added as a stretch goal or a pledge goal, pledge level, let us know because we, we will think about it. Definitely. You hear that, people? Let him know. Uh, check out the, the Kickstarter, Relics, A Game of Angels. Um, also on Facebook. Uh, he's very responsive, so uh, make sure to, to send ideas and such. Um, but the next question. Uh, yes. which is kind of one of my favorites because uh, I'm kind of a musically inclined person. Um, mm-hmm. If Relics had a soundtrack, what songs would you add to it? Oh, well, the short answer to that is that we did a YouTube um, playlist. There's about 100 songs on there. So can I just post the link? Yeah, um, definitely. That? Post the link. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's on the, it, we put it on the Facebook at one point. Yeah, um, we, we were going to do a Spotify one, but we couldn't. There's a, there is a Spotify one, but for some reason it, it doesn't like me adding it. It only likes one, the person who set it up adding it uh, to yeah. it. So, but I can post post that right now. I can find that on YouTube um, and post our our playlist. Um, let me just find it right now. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's got there we go. Relics music inspiration also got Relics film inspiration there as well. Nice. Um, Obviously, you know, things like Sympathy for the Devil is on there. Um, uh, lots of Tom Waits. Um, Holy Grail by the Hunters and Collectors was a song that inspired me when I was young. Um, wait a minute. Oh, it didn't like that. Did it not like that? Oh, it won't do it. It won't let me because I, I'm not logged in. Um, That's weird. Some reason. I will put it in, in Facebook for you to post. Excellent. Yeah, I will I will post that for everyone to uh, to check out. And uh, for those on YouTube, it'll be right below us. So you can check yep. it out. Um, yeah, I mean, we have – the music was really important. Um, we have a long list of movies and TV shows and books that inspired us. But then it got, I got to the music section, and I was like, I can't list them. There's too many. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, there's like a hundred or something songs on that list. And, um, I think a lot of interesting variety and stuff. So, um, from country music to heavy metal, um, again, again, it comes back to the fact that angels are this powerful, um, they're one of our really big go-to metaphors for, they're talking about things that matter to us. So if, if you want to talk about love, you want to talk about faith, you want to talk about, authority, passion, meaning, um, morality, um, our angels tend to be the first thing we, we stop at. So 
there's a lot of lot of rock and roll songs. Um, uh, that that come back to to angels as this um, this sort of ongoing theme. Mm-hmm. All right, I've sent that link. We'll you guys can all see it in the notes. Excellent, excellent. All right, so um, you know you're you've been working on some other things in the past. Uh, other yep. than relics, what's your favorite game that you've created? I am really proud of a game I wrote called The Tin Star. Um, it is a very unusual game. Um, it is a sort of a solo role-playing game um, in the sense that you are telling a story that is unpredictable and you don't know how it's going to go. Um, so you're not actually role-playing out, but you're creating a story based on random elements. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really fascinating to me. And I was just really proud about how well that came out as, as, a, as a beast. It was something that was just someone that said to me, like, your game is called your company's called the Tin Star Games. Well, you don't you have any Western games. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm really proud about that. And it's a, a, quite a rare beast, and most people don't want to pick up a game that's solo. So I'm always wanting people to have a look at that um, and see if it catches their eye. Um, so, yeah, um, that that's one that I'm very proud of. Um, the Tin Star Game is, is what it's called? It's called it's called the tin star. The tin star. Yep. So then, all right. I think we should have to have to throw that into the the channel and have a playthrough of it. That sounds really fun. You can. There are also uh, collaborative ways that you can play it with with, with other people. So um, there's all sorts of options in the book. Yeah. And yeah, it just sort of lo- it's basically got a bunch of different random tables queued to uh, when playing cards come out of a deck. So you just <laughs> shuffle. Again, my love of card decks and. Um, Tells this amazing story about the old West, uh, which again, speaking of, you know, is a something that is always about morality. It's it's a tale of um, black hats and white hats mm-hmm. and the kind of lines we draw in the sand. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, what is next on the horizon for Ten Star Games? Um, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of uh, goes back to that question about what I felt when we funded. Is it like everything? up until, you know, April 10th has just been like, are we going to fund? Yeah. And everything beyond that is this event horizon. Um, there's still a lot of business work that we that I need to do. Um, I actually have been nominated for some awards at the, the Free Play Festival in Australia. Um, which Congratulations. Is a, uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, it is um, sort of like uh, um, the GDC of Australia, mm-hmm. uh, the Game Design Conference. Um and so I'm flying down. The, the Kickstarter ends on the 10th. I'm flying down to Melbourne on the 11th to do that. Um, then, you know, hopefully try to rest um, <laughs> for May um, and, and get throw stuff to my artists and, and um, uh, uh, you know, editors and stuff and get them all, all working. But what we want to do is, as I said, we've got this money now that lets us to, like, Every, every every extra dollar we get past funding, we can reinvest in the company. And there's things that we want to do with that. We want to expand. We want to put out um, more card games and more board games as well. We want to uh, get people more interested in some of our smaller RPGs. Um, and, yeah, hopefully use this to build um, a, a something that is a larger company that can not just eventually not just publish my voices as well, uh, but publish other people's. Um, I've got 
a few ideas for some smaller games mm-hmm. that I'm wanting to get back to um, RPG-wise, so that will be nice to, to sort of play around with them, but they probably will be just like PDF releases for mm-hmm. five, ten bucks or something, like most of my other small games. Um, long-term, we are also working with a group of people who are very good at world designing, um, and some of them are novelists, and the idea is that we might be able to, they'll do the novels and we'll produce the setting material, mm-hmm. and it might be end up being D&D ruled, but it'll be also generic enough that you can use it anywhere. Yeah. So... That would be like in a year or two. So there's 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 plans. Hopefully, um, what I would really like to do is we don't have enough um, publishing houses in Australia. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that's sort of killing our industry at the moment. Is we have lots of really good talent, and every single one, every single person who's got talent tends to have to make their own game and their own company. And I'd like to make a larger house that can employ more people. We have Wade Dwyer's um, Pragged Empire game, which is actually pumping out lots of material and giving freelancers a great thing. So I'd like to do something like that, but but having more variety. So that, you know, if you've got a great role-playing game or a great board game or a card game, um, you don't have to learn how to be a publisher. You know, we can take on some of that for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, get more voices out. Um, yeah, especially Australian Australian voices. Yeah. Yeah, and so you you've met uh, Wade uh, Dyer. Um, that's interesting because I interviewed him. Uh, I think about a month and a half ago, uh, concerning his uh, Fragged Empire games. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, we meet at conventions uh, every now and then, and we're you know we talk. Um, and yeah, his work is amazing. His art is incredible. Everybody wants to be able to do what he does. Um, and um, yeah, he just. Uh, is a machine at putting out content as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, so I, I guess I, I'm curious, what is the kind of Australian um, gaming market like? Um, is it any it's, different than kind of what we're used to over here? Um, it's definitely um, a lot smaller um, and a lot more spread out. Um, Australia has always suffered from the fact that we're kind of connected to the West, mm-hmm. but we're millions of miles away from it. So it's really hard to get like guests and, and big game companies to come over here and look at what we're doing. Um, the advent of the internet made things hugely in, uh, better for that. So we can now freelance and work with people overseas and send our games overseas much more easily. But we still have to deal with that issue. And there are people... Uh, like like uh, Blood on the Clock Tower was an Australian game that did really well. But one of the reasons it did really well is they, they did a U.S. tour um, for about three months just going to every convention. And if you want to get noticed, you often have to, like, you can do a sort of Kickstarter here and hope that that will get your attention of an American distributor. But a lot of people are investing instead on flying over to the U.S. and meeting publishers and things like that. So uh, we're still, we're always dealing with that issue. Mm-hmm. But we're at a point where because of Kickstarter and because of momentum, um, we are getting more of a sense of an industry and more of our ability to publish um, our own stuff. So that's really exciting. Um, it's just dealing with the fact that, yeah, we are we are smaller. We're more spread out. We're less um, generally, I think, a little bit less keen on putting our money into our hobbies as much as some of, of, of some cultures just because we haven't got into that culture as much mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean that's changing a bit too we, we've 
got Supernova here, which is a nerd con, which is it started off as just you know meeting actors and buying t-shirts and comics and things like that. But we now have a growing board game presence there. So there's there's I think it's time of really good, really interesting change where yeah. people are, are finding their feet and going, hey, there are Australian designers. We can invest in local things. Um, that sounds is, awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so are there, I mean, you, you talked about, uh, Australian, uh, game developers coming over to different countries and everything and kind of hitting the, uh, the convention circuit. Uh, are there any plans or interests for, uh, 10 star to kind of bring relics overseas as well as the rest of, uh, your products or. We, we will of course be distributing, uh, overseas <laughs> fulfilling first and then, and then yes, hopefully distributing to stores across America and Europe. Um, I would love to get to the U.S. Uh, just again for the same sort of reasons we talked about. To meet, I've been to the U.S. many many years ago, but I'd love you know to go again and and just get to conventions, talk to people face to face. It's really important to make those connections. Um, so that's something that would be a sort of the next saving goal, basically, mm -hmm. to try and get enough money together from slowly growing the business. Hopefully, that we can then fund a trip. Um, and, and it would coincide with at least one or two cons, mm -hmm. if possible. Um, you know, my friend's going to Big Bad Con uh, soon, which is great. Some people go to GDC every year. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, there's, there's – there's, the center of the gaming world is still America. Um, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to get over there and just, you know, also meet some of our fans and, and, and run games for them and stuff like that. I did love – you know, I, I was able when I traveled – um, it was about 15 years ago now, but because I'd met a lot of people online through gaming, I could just go sh shop in a town, find someone I'd met online, play role-playing games or board games with them, and that was a wonderful way to sort of travel the world. So I'd love to do that sort of thing again. Oh, yeah, definitely. And if you're ever in the uh, the D.C. area, uh, we have a lot of fans here who would love to, to uh, try out Relics with you. <laughs> so if you're ever in the area. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, it, it's it's... It's a long-term goal, but I would definitely have a plan to get back um, to the U.S. And, and the U.K., hopefully, as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to shift a little bit uh, and to go uh, into something uh, uh, important to, to Penny for a Tale as a whole, as well as myself, uh, yep. and uh, apparently to you. Um, in 2012, you created a group known as Message, uh, Men Ending Slurs and Sexist Attitudes in the Gaming Environment. Um, can you describe the events that led to the creation of the group? Yeah, um, so the message, uh, was a really important thing to me. Um, in 2012, we had a few flashpoint events, um, about sexism in gaming. Um, we had, um, uh, I've forgotten her name. One of the writers on Mass Effect mm -hmm. was talking about how, there is much more appeal in Mass Effect than just the game mechanics and um, got massively attacked for saying those things. Um, and that was when we began to realize that um, there was a very, very strong um, actioned, weaponized presence of, of male toxicity. And just after that, um, Anita Sarkeesian came along as well, um, started talking of her videos were all about media and then she branched into computer games and got savagely attacked. At the same time in role playing, there was a few people who were um, just again. It was it was a sort of a watershed moment where the shift in balance online 
had grown to a point where women were, and, and minorities were getting sick of being treated and were getting louder and louder. I've been following a lot of things. There was a lot of websites tracking these things um, and trying to raise awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, so it was just like, uh, it was it was prophetic because we didn't know that Gamergate was a year and a half away, but um, we, were, we, we knew something like that could happen and it could get worse and worse. Um, so w- there was an, an, a seen sense of, well, how do we fix this? We can't just keep going, there's something wrong unless we provide a solution. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to do was to try to put together some sort of force. There was another group as well that did, it was, it was board gaming and video gaming and was more about racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just going to go, look, this is, I know, I know tabletop gaming and sexism is, is sort of where I'll come from. Um, so we set up a little, yeah, that organization to, the idea was to come from it from the male point of view to say, look, the best thing that men can do is lead other men mm-hmm. and just go, this is our, our what we're going to tolerate and no more. And it's not, it's our job to clean up our hobby. So that was the intent. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you on that. I mean, especially uh, uh, in, in certain areas here in America, you have that, you know, that, that toxic uh, masculinity kind of pervade, uh, perversing a lot of great games, you know, in whether you're in like yeah. the Pathfinder chat groups or, uh, you know, the, the D&D or, you know, if you're just going to your local uh, hobby shop and you kind of just um, you, you, you try to create a place that is that is safe um for people uh of any color any 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 race creed or, or sex um so my next question is what happened to the group um basically it was being run entirely by me for mm-hmm. about five years and um i ran out of i ran out of steam and um i wanted to do more on on my game design um mm-hmm. And it's just, it's very hard. Uh, as I said, I'm, I'm on a disability pension because I have uh, all sorts of health issues that make it hard for me to work a great amount, as much as other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's, it, we didn't, sh- we just, uh, also financial issues as well because we have to run a website and, and yeah. a service like that. So I was just like, look, I, 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 I offered it to to other people to run it, but there was nobody willing to sort of step up. So I just was, we'll, we'll put it on the side for now. Um, you know, I've still got my t-shirt and my, my flyers and things like that. So we could, we could certainly relaunch it. Um, we were hoping to get a little bit more momentum as well. Um, but that's always, it's always a bit of a gamble. I mean, that's the thing with any kind of endeavor. Yeah. You see how much you, see how much you can grow it and you see where you can take it from every, every step. So um, I think in many ways, there's a lot more awareness now than there was. Um, so um, there's, I think people are more willing to, to do the kind of things that we, we were talking about as solutions back then. So we're less needed as well. Um, and I have more venues now where I can, where we can propagate these ideas. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's less need for it in, in its, in its, in its, in its the form that it was in. Um, what we really, you know, to take it to another level, we need a lot more investment or money or a bigger team or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm always happy to talk about the issue and encourage the issue. Um, but unfortunately, uh, there are also other things I want to do with my life. And that's, um, that's often the, the, the toughest thing is going, well, there's only so many hours in the day. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm thinking about that. As, as I think about post relics, uh, post Kickstarter, it's like, well, how much time am I going to spend as a publisher versus being a designer and a creator. 
Um, and that's, these are always very tough decisions. Oh yeah, definitely. And you know, it, it sounds, um, awesome in terms of the, um, your readiness to do this kind of before Gamergate and when it kind of really kind of blew up, uh, uh, in everyone's face and it really made everyone look, uh, about, uh, concerning the industry about what needed to change and what needed to be fixed yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so do you feel like we're moving forward on these issues in recent years or, you know, obviously there's, there's always more that can be done. Uh, but do you think the industry in general is kind of moving in the right direction or does it kind of need a little more nudges, um, so to speak? It's, it's hard to say. Um, I think I think there's a lot of endemic problems with games and role playing that to deal with the fact that they um, excuse me they have a they are quite male dominated um, and they've been dominated by certain attitudes and there's also the fact that the kind of people who get into board games and role playing games are often looking for artificial structures so they don't always have um, their own good sense of social levels and barriers and, and uh, behaviors. And these things create a, a, a climate that can cause these problems to get really bad. Um, and yeah, it's, it's tough because I think, I think we have made some real headway. I think in the last couple of months we've had uh, some people coming forward and, and try to identify these bad actors as best we can. We don't have a very good system for dealing with it because it's all kind of based on, on hearsay. Um, and, and, and sort of social systems instead of actual, you know, limits and things like that. But, um, again, it's, it's a level of awareness. It's a level of, of uh, attention being paid. Um, and I hope that will lead to sort of, you know, better climates um, overall. Um, in, um, yeah, because people – I think people have got that there is a severe severity to this issue. Mm -hmm. um, and – I don't think we're out of the woods yet, but to me that seems like a good sign that there is something that can, we can just go, there is, there is a big problem here. Let's address it. Let's keep talking about it. Let's push forward. Um, and that, that gives me hope, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it has been good seeing that in the last couple of years. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, thanks, thanks again for, for talking uh, about that with us. You know, we always appreciate it, especially, you know um, – Penny for a Tale has always been about inclusivity and, and uh, showing gamers that, you know, different people uh, play these games and love these games. And, you know, this is really just about creating a safe environment to test out different perspectives and, and telling your stories. Yeah. Um, so definitely thank you for that. So let, let's kind of go back to a, to a more lighthearted uh, yeah. uh, question. Um, and this is, is kind of something I, I was very curious about. Um, so which angelic aspect do you think you relate, uh, to the most? Oh, uh, I am the behemoth. Yeah. Um, I'm very much the sort of stoic, mm -hmm. uh, carrier of burdens. Um, one thing I had to be very careful of when I was writing the game was, uh, not favoring too much the ones I identified with. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, but I'm definitely a behemoth. I, I've even done the quiz that I set up and got that, um, and I'm sort of I'm tilted towards the boots of humility as well if we're looking at the missions. Wait, um, but again, I would. So there's a there's a quiz. Yes, yes. It's a, uh, I I did a little uh, it, a fan sort of set the account up for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll dig. Uh, there's a there's a sort of which which aspect are you and which mission are you? 
Oh. I'll post them again. Yeah, that sounds awesome. If if after some time today you could you could dig those up for us, yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. No yeah. So I, I, yeah. So we worked. A fan sort of started the idea, and I I finished the questions off, and then I did it. And I was like, yep, confirmed. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm definitely a behemoth, and yeah. The challenge for me was to make sure though that that everything felt like everyone would would had something that they could leap on and go. Mm-hmm. That is so me, um, because I think that's that's part of the appeal of of. Uh, any kind of setting is going, oh, if I was in that setting, I would be this or yeah. identify. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was, that was, that was an easy one for me. Um, <laughs> missions are a bit harder, <laughs> but yeah. that's again, I think that's fine because I wanted to make the, I wanted to make every mission seem like they were the right choice. Yeah. So that it, so that if you're in them, you, you can really understand No, this is, this makes sense. Um, I think that's that's what you want to do with with good faction design. Is go well. These all these people have a point. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think in our last playthrough, uh, we went through uh, Devil's Own Luck. I believe that was the title of the. Um, they they so they had different factions and everything, and it it was interesting yep. at the end them talking to each other about um, you know why they they thought about certain things based on their mission. Um, yep. and then kind of seeing each other's perspective because one forgot that the other person's mission was like the the humility one, um, yep. and so that was really interesting. <laughs> so, um, what is your favorite miracle? Uh, oh, good question. Um, I like I I like the one that that uh, lets you just read anything by touching it because that would just make my life so much easier. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and, but I also like, I think, I think some of the great ones are the ones we've come up with on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or, um, we have someone in, in the game I'm running on a podcast who can, um, read, um, everything in a room effectively in a moment, but it destroys the knowledge on the, that's being stored on. So Ooh. it's like, she gets it, but it destroys everything. That's a really nasty catch. Um, yeah. And some of the, some of the, some of those fun things where you're going, um, you know, this is, this, this, uh, is powerful, but it has a terrible catch. Like we, there's, uh, there's one in the book that gives you, there's, we talk about the, having the ability to live forever. Um, it's, it's useful, but it also has a terrible downside because you still age, you know? And, yeah. Um, uh, so some of those, and that's what I think always fun for me to think of things that are, that aren't just like, here's a superpower. It's like, well, here's something you can do, but it has an edge to it. Um, you know, so there's yeah, there's also an example. Um, one of there's a powerful thing that can um, uh, a, a powerful relic that can cause huge um, uh, uh, ocean swells and storms and tsunamis, and um, it's it's one of those things where like, well, what do you do with that? How do you use it for good? Um, how many you know environmental trawlers do you wreck? Uh, sorry, oil tankers do you wreck? Yeah. and how many people get wrecked as a result? Um, yeah, so I like, I like those kind of things where there's an interesting kind of puzzle of like, what do we do with this? Um, oh, yeah, and giving yeah. them players as well. They're going, oh, look, look, this allows you to the, if we get to do it, um, the, uh, um, the, the sequel to, to Devil's Own Luck, um, by Demons Driven has a very powerful relic that could, if used right, let you control the world, um, to some extent. <laughs> and it's, and again, at the end, the adventure ends with, what do you want to do with it? We've had some really amazing play testings with that, where people, have, where the angels have gone, have had that moment like you were talking about, where they're just going, uh, I want that, 
but I want it for different reasons that you want it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if I wanted to give it to you <laughs> and things like that. Which is, <laughs> that's, and that's really fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it was enjoyable as a GM just kind of watching it. Um, so kind of uh, as we kind of look at the tabletop industry as a whole, um, what are some kind of industry trends uh, that you feel are leading us in the right direction? And not from kind of like the, the, the moral standpoint, as we were talking about earlier, but more like mechanics, uh, the way we enjoy games, the way we kind of um, uh, a GM relates to the players and, and back and forth and to each other. I, I really like like the actual play movements in general. Mm-hmm. Um I think there's, they concentrate too much on D and D, and people might get might might accidentally think that all those games have all their games have to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the idea that you can sit and watch people play games differently is a really good one because I think people get into their heads that either their game is is broken or other people are playing differently. Or I, I, it's hard to talk about gaming mm-hmm. because we often talk about it, we often see it very differently in our heads. And then when we see it at the table, it, it's like the same. So I think the ability to just be able to go, how are you playing this game? How are you playing this game? How do you GM? How do you deal with some of these these issues about you know um, player authority and, and things like that? And you can and you can now have those conversations online too. Like I was just thinking about how to present a trap the other day, and mm-hmm. I was just putting on Twitter like, well, how do you GM traps? Um, so I love that idea that we're just we're having this kind of large conversation about everyone's styles and and methods and not so much about oh this system is better than that system it's like Mm -hmm. what do you do in this situation how much player authority or gm authority do you have um so i really like that um and i think it's exciting that we are we are doing more sort of indie stuff through kickstarter Mm -hmm. in different kinds of ways um the gauntlet is doing great work with presenting indie games um and again, getting these voices out there again. We sort of had a big peak of indie about 15 years ago, and the gauntlet has helped it come back again. Um, and I think, again, I think um, we've, we've sort of broken through. Uh, there was a scene, There was a time when um, things like Power by the Apocalypse was just seen as the gold standard, and, and it is very good, um, and so is like uh, uh, Blades in the Dark. But mm-hmm. I think we've sort of... There was a, we got to a point where people were just copying it and not taking us forward, and I think we've we've burst out of that now. We're gonna go. People can go. Look, I don't have to do Blades in the Dark. I can do something else. Mm-hmm. I can um, I can do it this way and I can do it that way. And I think that's that's really encouraging. We just saw somebody do a very successful Kickstarter for for a, uh, an RPG of sorts, but it's just a setting book, and um, obviously they have beautiful art and other, and that's a really interesting setting, but the conventional wisdom was that was never going to sell. And 10 years ago, it probably wouldn't have, but yeah. I think we're in a, you know, where people are going, well, I can experiment and I'm getting better at the idea of how to use X, Y, Z with my D and D or with my blades in the dark. Mm-hmm. And that's encouraging for me because I think that helps everyone. If you don't have to go, can't play it cause it's not my system. You know, that just shuts you off from a lot of things. And, I'd rather we all we all share ideas a bit more. Yeah, definitely. And it has been really cool seeing a Kickstarter, like these source books and stuff like that. You can just yeah. uh, drag into any game that you that you have. And there's yeah, there's a lot of great ideas out there. It's almost back to like it was with 3E where there was the uh, the OGL with 5E, where people are just going, well, here's how to do this in, in 5E, and here's how to do that, and here's my setting for 5E. And that, 
Um, I mean, yeah, it's all 5e, but it does provide a lingua franca sort of thing, a sense of, of whatever idea you want to talk about, at least we can put a 5e on it. And then if you, maybe if you don't run 5e, you can still use it because we can we can see how to attach things to yeah. uh, 5e and see how things work in 5e and apply it elsewhere. Excellent. Um, so this is our, our final question, and we're kind of going back uh, to the beginning. Um, how did you first get into the hobby? Um, I got into the hobby um, through Talisman, basically. In 1986, Talisman came out. I, I think I got it for my 10th or 11th birthday. So it's a board game that was very fantasy. It was something, there was nothing else really like it back then. Um, and someone I knew was talking a bit about, about D&D at that point. And uh, yeah, I went into a shop to buy uh, Talisman expansions for my, for, with my birthday money. And there was a game there that was Dungeons and Dragons. It was the old Red Book. Um, and by being in a box, that made it look more like a board game. Um, yeah, and I picked it up and I, I loved it. Um, had a lot of trouble finding players back then. Um, but, uh, yeah, then I found, uh, TMNT, which, which just turned me on a light, light bulb because I love stories about animals and anthropic animals. Mm -hmm. And, um, we didn't even have the comic or the cartoon when I, when we first found the game. Um, yeah. And, and, um, yeah, been a, been a, an RPG nerd ever since. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So that is it for me. Um, uh, uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you guys have any questions, uh, feel free to send myself uh, an email or Facebook chat, however you want to do it. You'll find the details on YouTube uh, below uh, or on the Twitch channel, uh, and I can forward them to, to Steve D, and I'm, I'm sure he will readily uh, answer them. Uh, you can also check him out on Facebook, uh, Relics, a Game of Angels. Um, also, please, please, please check out Relics, a game for angels on Kickstarter. Back them. It is an amazing game. If you are ever curious about it, there are many podcasts, actual plays, and interviews uh, concerning uh, the work of Steve D. Um, and it has been uh, an amazing time for me, personally, running the game. Um, so, uh, Steve D, do you have anything to, to say to the to people out there? Uh, you pretty much summed it up. If we, yeah, we just love you to... to keep spreading the word tell people face to face because that's always better than just a random share say you know or, or message them and say look this game looks really interesting back it um because yeah i want to make i want to put that next supplement out and we've got some other things planned we'd love for it to go even bigger so share and enjoy as they say excellent excellent you guys have heard it share like uh, talk to people you know. Uh, this is Penny for a Tale, uh, late night talk, uh, and thank you once again, Steve D, uh, for for joining us. My pleasure. You guys have a good night. <laughs> <laughs>